Hey, welcome to the podcast for Scotts Hill Baptist Church. We hope this message helps you discern what is true, what is right, and what is good. Also, we pray it acts as an encouragement for you today. Everyone has a story to tell. This Christmas season, we're going to look at different perspectives of people from the Bible and the story they tell of Jesus' birth. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Scotts Hill as we begin the Advent season. It is officially Christmas time. We're moving into the Christmas celebration. Thursday was Thanksgiving. That is over. Friday was Black Friday. That is over. Saturday was Small Business Saturday. That is over. And then comes Monday, which is Cyber Monday, right? And that is just right before us. And this is a crazy time of the year where our country and millions and even billions of people around the world are spending the next month getting ready for something that will take place on January, December the 25th. Then December 25th is Christmas Sunday, Christmas Day, which will be a Friday that year, this year. But here's, I'm getting it all mixed up. I, I am just right in line with 2020, am I? I am so ready for this year to be over with. But the reality is people are moving towards it. These celebrations are launching up. People are singing Christmas songs. They're buying the, the presents. They're watching the movies. They're doing all of these things. In fact, Christmas is a bit absurd because it is the only holiday that we have in America that an entire month is dedicated to that one holiday. And for the next month, people are going to be gearing around that. There are going to be parties. There are going to be celebrations. There are going to be fruitcake that has been given and re-gifted to people who probably re-gifted it to you in the first place. You're going to have all this craziness taking place. In fact, do you know that there are some careers and there are some businesses that are designed exclusively for helping people to celebrate Christmas? That's all they do all year. And I would say that this year is one of those years where people are looking forward to it and have even celebrated it a bit early. How many of you have set your Christmas trees up before Thanksgiving this year? Yeah, we got some, and we did, and we never do that. But we had grandkids coming in, and they wanted to see it, and all of those kinds of things. And so what we find is people are getting ready to celebrate. And one of the big things about Christmas every year are the stories of Christmas. And all you have to do is watch any kind of Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime or whatever it is. There are stories after stories after stories about Christmas. This past week, I took some time and I went to, to research the top 50 movies in the last 50 years. Now, I'm not going to show you 50 movies this morning, but of the 50 movies, all the sites came down to about the same when it comes to the top 10 movies. And Jeff, I'm sorry, no Hallmark movies made the list. Should they never make the list? I've seen one Hallmark movie. They all are exactly alike. And you can know exactly what's going to take place. But these movies, some of them may surprise you. Some of them may not surprise you. So I'm going to start at number 10. I'm going to work down to number one. And we're going to see how you do and how well you can guess maybe the top three. So number 10, all-time movie, is A Christmas Carol. How many of you grew up with A Christmas Carol? Remember this and still growing up with it? Ebenezer Scrooge and Bah Humbug and all that. Number nine, Miracle on 34th Street. I have never seen the movie. 
I know, I know, and I don't, I, I don't like Chick-fil-A, so call me an atheist or something, you know? <laughs> I, 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 you know, but, but this one I have seen, the next one, Rudolph. We grew up with that, you know, the little claymation things and all, the thing, all that fun stuff and the big abominable snowman and all of that. How about number seven, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We're getting desperate, I'm telling you. If these are top, I did watch that this weekend for the first time with my family. It was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> number six, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Love Charlie Brown, and, and every year they, we used to love to watch this as kids. My all-time favorite, number five, a Christmas story. You'll put your eye out, Ralphie. Uh, and they played, I think, on TNT uh, 24 hours when it gets close to Christmas or on Christmas Day. It never stops. Uh, number four is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. The original version is one of the most popular. Number three, It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you watch this every year? Yeah, y'all need to get a life. <laughs> I know this is a wonderful life, but, you know, Clarence gets his wings every year and all of that, and it's in black and white. Number two, what do you think number two would be? White Christmas. White Christmas. Uh, number two is Home Alone. Really interesting. And actually, Home Alone 2 makes it in the top 25. But the number one all-time Christmas movie that's been surveyed in the last 50 years is, what do you think it is? Yeah, Die Hard. (laughs) It it is on the top 25, Die Hard. Yes, go home and watch it. Number one, Elf. The number one Christmas movie in the last 50 years, this is it. It's the only well, Will Ferrell movie I've ever watched all the way through, um, Elf. But you know, this is the interesting thing. Christmas is all about stories. But here's what's interesting about all of these stories I looked at this week. Of all of the top stories, none of them have the story of the true meaning of Christmas. None of them. Oh, they might allude to something here. They might have some elements, maybe a scene of a nativity or something like that. But not one of these movies, with the exception of one of these top ten, leans into the Christmas story, and that's a Charlie Brown Christmas. It's the only one. And in this season, it's all about the birth of Jesus, yet he's not invited to any of these parties. And he's not even spoken of. And we're beginning a new series today that that we're calling A Story to Tell. And what we want to do is we want to look at the greatest story ever told in humanity. And that is the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look at it from a bunch of different perspectives in this series. Next week, we're going to look at it from the perspective of an older couple who were the first ones to hear the Word of God in 400 years of silence. And what they hear is something that we can learn about how God works in the middle of impossible situations. And then we're going to hear the story from another couple. And they're going to be a couple that we're going to learn that how they learn to obey God when things completely do not make sense. And then we're going to hear from a couple of groups of individuals. And they're going to explain to us the glory of God and the meaning of Christ. 
And then on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about our story to tell. And then we're going to conclude it the Sunday after Christmas with that the story continues and it still goes on. But today, we want to begin before it began. Today, I want to tell you a story of Christmas that goes beyond time. It goes beyond space. It goes beyond this world. Matter of fact, this is where we need to begin the story of Christmas. Because if we miss the story of Christmas at this point, we will never understand what Christmas is. And so this morning, I want to show you how John, the apostle, has a story to tell. Now, John did not come into the life of Jesus until Jesus was 30 years old. But the Holy Spirit inspired John to see Christmas from eternity past. Not in his day, not in our day, but before there was anything. We want to see what the heart of the Father is. And in John's Gospel, chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If you have your devices, turn there. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is called the prologue of John. His gospel begins unlike the other synoptic gospels. Mark simply says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he begins telling a bit about the birth of Jesus, but then moves on to his ministry. Then we find in Matthew's gospel, he begins with the genealogy of Jesus, and it's in a descending order. It begins with Adam and moves all the way to Jesus. And then when you get to Luke's gospel, chapter 3, he has the, the genealogy of Jesus, but it's what we call an ascending order. It starts with Jesus, and it goes all the way to Adam. But here, it is totally different. Because John starts in eternity past. And as he tells this story, we can see the absurdity of Christmas. That Christmas, when you stop to think about it, in its true meaning, is absolutely absurd. It's not absurd because it cannot happen. It is absurd because it did happen. And that God would go through this length to redeem you and me. Here's how he starts. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's a short story, but it's got incredible depth 
And when we think about Christmas from John's perspective, he's taking us back to eternity past. Before there was anything, there's God the Father. There's God the Son. There's God the Holy Spirit. Perfect community. Perfect unity with one another. Each is 100% omniscient. Each is 100% omnipresent. Each is 100% omnipotent. All equal. And then it says, the word became flesh. Here's where it becomes absurd. And as I think of the story of Christmas, and we think what happened in eternity past that set Christmas in motion, there's several things occurred on that day that Jesus was born. That's absurd. Here's the first thing we need to say. That the invisible became visible. You see, from eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are described to us in terms of Scripture as being spirit. Not a spirit, but spirit. A spirit can only be in one place at one time. But the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit co-equal are spirit. They are able to be everywhere at once. And each one of them is not limited by anything that you and I find ourselves limited in. And God, who has always been unperceivable to the human eye, suddenly becomes visible. When you read through the pages of Scripture, you find that we never see the face of God. We find that Moses saw the backside of God. Jacob saw something of God that he says, I have seen the face of God and I have survived, but no one has seen God in all of his glory and all of his splendor. And at Christmas time, the invisible became visible for the first time. People can lay their eyes on the ageless creator of life. We find that Paul writes of this in Colossians 1.15. He says, and he is the image of the invisible God. What you saw in Jesus Christ is the image of the Father. And the writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 verse 3 says, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. Jesus is not just a little bit like God. He is the exact representation of the Father. Can you imagine Christmas morning when Jesus is born? For the first time, people can see the eyes of God blinking. The first time, people could see the hand of God moving. That little cry that came from the manger was the same cry that said, let there be light. He became visible. People can see his countenance. His face would light up with a smile when his mother would walk into the room. He would lift his hands up when Joseph would walk by as to be picked up and carried by a man. People can see the sorrow in his eyes when he saw the brokenness of humanity. He saw the tears flowing down his face when he saw the injustice 
that takes place in the culture. They can see him grimace when a spike went into his wrist. And they can see the anguish on his face as he took his last breath. It's absurd, isn't it? The invisible became visible so that we could see the heart of the one who loves us so dearly. But it didn't stop there. See, not only did the invisible become visible, but the infinite became finite. Can you imagine that? Jesus, who had no boundaries. Jesus, who could be anywhere at all times. Jesus, who had no limits on his power, no limits on his presence, no limits on his knowledge. Nothing to bind him in eternity. And yet when he was born, that which was infinite suddenly is finite. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7, he says this, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking on the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He emptied himself. Some call that the kenosis theory and a number of different theories, and people have argued over this for years. Let me tell you what he did not empty himself of. He did not divest himself of divinity. He was always God. He was always powerful. Yet, he was no longer infinite in that time. The one who never knew time stepped into time. The one who never was governed by a day suddenly is governed by 24 hours, just like you and I are. The one who knew no limits of his presence suddenly confined to one location at a time in one human body that he would navigate on this earth. The one who would limit his power by not turning a stone into bread for his own glory. The one who was reliant upon his heavenly father for wisdom and discernment and what to do with his ministry. The omniscient one is dependent on a daily relationship with the father to walk in obedience. The ageless creator of life now ages and is confined to a broken world like you and I are. You see, what's really, really incredibly significant here is he who is infinite now is in this little human body. But then there's a third thing we see here. The creator became part of his creation. This, this blows me away. And the word became flesh like you and me. And he dwelt among us. He lived with us. And we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It says that Moses came with truth. But Jesus came with grace and truth. And he lived his life with the perfect combination of grace and truth 
But here's the thing. He became part of his own creation. It's really crazy. The cry of the little baby in the manger is the same voice that created his mother and every star in the universe. We find through this passage that he is indeed the agent of all creation. It says without him, nothing was made that has been made. And yet Jesus becomes part of it. And here's the most astonishing thing to me. How did he become part of it? He didn't become part of it as a flash of light that just showed up on the scene. He didn't become part of it as a conquering king that just simply rode in at the age of 30. Jesus became part of humanity in the same way that you and I become part of humanity. Through conception, through an embryo, through the growing of a womb in a womb through birth, through a birth canal, into this world as a helpless baby that is absolutely dependent upon its mother. That's how he came. And there's nothing less threatening than a baby. We call this the hypostatic union, the joining between divinity and humanity. And the difference between the conception of Jesus and the conception that we understand is that there was no man involved in this. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. She conceived and gave birth to a son, Jesus. Can you imagine the one who created the universe as an embryo? Can you imagine God as a fetus, holiness, sleeping in a womb? The creator being created, God was given eyebrows, elbows, two kidneys, a spleen. He stretched against the walls and floated in the amniotic fluids of his mother. He entered the world through a teenage girl. Angels watched as Mary changed God's diaper. The universe watched with wonder as Almighty learned to crawl and to walk. The one who is called the Word had to learn how to speak the Word. He grew up just like we grew. Children played with him in the street and had the synagogue leader of Nazareth known who was listening to his sermons. (laughs) Well, Jesus may have had pimples. Maybe he had bony knees. Maybe he wasn't very good looking. But one thing's for sure. He was completely human and completely divine. Colossians 1.19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in him. Now, it's one thing for the invisible to become visible. And the infinite to become finite. It's even another thing for the creator to become part of his own creation. It all sounds absurd, doesn't it? But here's where it gets really crazy. That the rich became poor. From eternity past, Jesus was in the glory of his Father. He was in the presence of heaven. Every single being in heaven worshipped him. He was the darling of heaven. All things at his disposal. Infinitely rich. And yet he gave up every bit of that. He could have been born in a palace. He could have been born in a middle-class family. But no. Who was he born to? 
We find in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Of all the people that Jesus could have been born to, God chose Mary, a teenage girl from a dead-end town called Nazareth that nobody goes to. And a carpenter. And on their way to Bethlehem, there was not even a place for her to give birth to the Son of God. They find a cave which acted as a stable. Jesus is born in the dirt and the dust of a cave. He doesn't even have a bed. They put him in a manger. You know what a manger is? That's a nice word for a feeding trough where animals eat out of and slobber. Can you imagine taking a newborn in strips of cloth in poverty? I just think of this. There was no silk. There was no ivory. There was no hype. There was no hoopla. The hands that first held him were unmanicured, calloused, and dirty hands of a peasant girl. Were it not for the shepherds, there would have been no reception. Were it not for the stargazers, there never would have been a present. Jesus was born to a poor couple, and we know that because when they presented him in the temple, they didn't, couldn't even offer a lamb. They offered two turtle doves, which was the offering for the poorest of society. He knows what it's like to be homeless. Think about his life. He was always borrowing from people. His place of birth, a house to sleep in, a boat to preach from, a coin to pay taxes with, an animal to ride on, a room in which to institute the Lord's Supper, and finally, a tomb to be buried in. He who is rich became poor. He gave up everything to come to this place that really offered him nothing. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 8 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich for your sake, he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Even if Jesus were born to the most wealthy person on the planet that still would have paled in comparison to his riches in glory. He became poor. Fifthly, the sinless became sin. Now when you think of all the other things here we get to one that absolutely baffles the mind. Christmas is absurd because the sinless Son of God came that he would become sin. Now from eternity past, he was in perfect fellowship with the Father. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The phrase in the Greek, with God, literally means to stand face to face. There has never been a time in the existence of Jesus where he was not in the presence of his father. Never. And there was wonderful, unbroken fellowship. 
But when Jesus took on humanity, he was still connected to the Father because he prayed daily in his communion with the Father. Jesus beautifully modeled for us a devotional life with the one who knows us better than anyone else knows. But when Jesus got to the cross, his task was to take on the sins of the world. Every sin you can imagine from the cesspool of sins were placed on him. The most heinous sin that you can think of, the sin from Adam all the way to the sin of some serial killer in the world right now, placed on Jesus. Jesus became sin. He who knew no sin suddenly became sin. And Paul would say to us that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now we read this verse and we think, boy, I'm glad of that. But we rarely think of the infinite pain that it caused the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you what it caused him. When Jesus was on the cross and our sin was placed upon him, he became the sin of humanity. And because of God's holiness, for the first time in the relationship between the Father and the Son, God turned his back. It's at that point that Jesus cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time in all of Scripture Jesus refers to the Father as God and not as Father. My God, why have you forsaken me? The infinite pain that that caused Jesus was far worse than the physical pain of the cross because that fellowship was broken. The one who had never had an evil thought, who had never done an evil thing, who had never had a wrong intention, who had never given in to any kind of temptation, but walked in absolute perfection on the cross, became every filthy thought and action and sin that you can imagine. And the Father turned away. Infinite suffering until the resurrection. He who knew no sin became sin. But here's the last. The giver of life gave his life. See, that's the story of Christmas. The giver of life gave his life. 54 times in the book of John, he speaks about life. Jesus is not only the agent of all creation of physical life, but Jesus is the only one who can give to you and me spiritual life. You see, not only does he create us by the word of his power, but he recreates us because of his work on the cross. And those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we have life in him. But in order for us to experience that life, Jesus had to die. So here's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a crown and a cross. Christmas always has its eyes on Easter Sunday. You see, when Jesus was born, it was his death sentence. 
he was born to die. And the moment he made that little cry from the manger was his first step towards the cross of Christ. You see, Christmas is about Jesus dying. You cannot have Christmas without Easter. You cannot have Easter without Christmas. Philippians 2.8 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. It's absurd. The invisible becoming visible. The infinite becoming finite. The creator becoming part of his creation. The rich becoming poor. The sinless becoming sin. Life becoming death. You see, that's the whole story of Christmas. From the perspective of the Trinity, it's the story of Christmas from eternity past. Before a Christmas tree was ever cut down, before an ornament was ever hung, the story of Christmas was about the absurdity that would take place. Now we can argue so much about the absurdity of how it happened or when it happened. But you want to know the greatest absurdity? Is why. Why did God do it? St. Augustine, who was a church father, early church father, captured these words beautifully. And here's what he says. The maker of man became man that he, ruler of the stars, might be nourished at the breast. That he, bread, might become hungry. That he, the fountain might thirst, that he, the light, might sleep, that he, the way, might be wearied by the journey, that he, the truth, might be accused by false witnesses, that he, the judge of the living and the dead, might be brought to trial by a mortal judge, that he, justice, might be condemned by the unjust, that he, discipline might be scourged with whips, that he, the fountain, might be suspended on a cross, that courage might be weakened, that security might be wounded, that life might die. And he did this. Although he who submitted to such great evils for our sake had done no evil, and although we who were the recipients of so much good at his hands had done nothing to merit these benefits. I wrote this statement down. While it is true that Jesus is the reason for the season, it is also true that you are the reason Jesus came. Jesus came for you. He became, in, he became visible for you. He became finite for you. He became part of this broken world because he understands you. He became poor so you would become rich in a relationship with him. He became sin 
that you might be counted as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He became death so that you would live. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need was policies, God would have sent a politician. If our greatest need was entertainment, God would have sent a comedian. Our greatest need is forgiveness. So God sent a Savior. And He is the hope for the world. He is the hope for everyone in this room. He is the hope for your marriages. He is the hope for your children. He is the hope for your success. He is the hope for eternity. He is the hope that the world needs to hear. And in our time of brokenness, Christmas is about the absolutely absurd things that God would do because he loves us. And his greatest desire is that we would worship him. Why? Because he is not only the hope of our day. He's not only the hope of the future. Jesus Christ is the hope of the ages. Thank you for joining us on the Scotts Hill podcast. Thank you to those who continue to give generously to this ministry. If you want more information about Scotts Hill, how to get connected in your community, or if you just want to know more about Jesus, visit scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it on your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure you tag us at Scotts Hill. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.